there's no way you are ever going to fulfill your purpose as a human being if you're spending most of your time focusing on your weaknesses because all you end up with then is very strong weaknesses. You're listening to One More Question, the podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we just ask you one more question? And that's the antithesis of what this podcast is. It's about sharing the best conversations we've had with significant creators, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating purposeful brands. This season is focused around unpacking the topic of purpose, exploring what purpose means in its many forms, and we share how people are using purpose to build great companies and successful brands. I'm your host, Ross Drex. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Helen Nicholson. Helen has been called the networking queen. She began her career as an accountant and has come a long way since then. She's the chief excitement officer of the networking company. She's published two bestsellers and spoken in many countries around the world. She's at her core, a connector. Helen shares her theory about how to find the clues to uncover your purpose, how to use that purpose to unlock your potential and drive your business. She shows us how to recruit people on passion and how to align that passion, your values and their competence to make your business succeed. Enjoy. Helen, well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. We really appreciate it. Wonderful to be here. You know, we were talking about, in, before we hit the record button, we were talking about uh, a purpose and, and the, the immediate place that you, your brain took it to it was around your, your personal brand. Um, can you talk a little bit more how you think purpose and, and personal brand align in, in one place? Yeah. So, um, Ross, I think that when your, your purpose is implicit in your personal brand, so I think that it's it's almost like the ikigai, you know, the the Japanese kind of, I, I don't know if any of you have seen that model, where different components all kind of come together. And right at the center is, is your brand. And your purpose is clearly one of them. Strengths would be would be another one, kind of um your uh, your career obviously is a, an element of that, but your career also isn't all of it. Because, um, you know, I, I see your personal brand as encompassing, um, you know, the whole of you. It's not ne- necessarily just your work uh, brand. Yes, yeah, just your professional mm-hmm. facing persona. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that your your personal brand is built, built around your strengths and not your weaknesses. And, and that's one of the biggest things because there's no way you are ever going to fulfill your purpose as a human being if you're spending most of your time focusing on your weaknesses because all you end up with then is very strong weaknesses. And, um, you know, no one is going to feel happy and fulfilled and fulfill your purpose if, if that is the space you're playing at. And sadly, I would say 70% of the delegates that we have trained or spoken to over the last kind of 15 years, um, obviously mainly in corporate, but I would say on average 70% of them, um, first of all, are not aware of their purpose and secondly, are they, they don't necessarily feel deserving of fulfilling their purpose. So there's definitely self-esteem stuff going on there. And I, I'll use, I have a family member, um, uh, my brother, who has worked in the wine industry for many, many years. And, you know, him and I have always had some very robust discussions around this because he believes work is work. 
you earn money, he has a, a great life, he does a lot of travel, but for him, his work serves his ultimate purpose, which is wildlife and travel. I, on the other hand, have a very different view. I believe that you're spending 80, 70, 80% of your life at work. So I believe that my work must be much more purposeful than than his belief. So I think to to go down this road, you've also got to challenge your belief system around that. If you don't believe that your career, for example, and that's obviously what we're speaking about here today, um, is is going to be you know completely purpose related, then obviously you know your work will be your work. Yeah, I think there's many people who just go to work to to earn a paycheck. But you know, I think one of the the, the lovely notes that you made when we started this was that that there's clues as to what your purpose are. You know, because I, I think you can't really avoid it completely um one of the other people we interviewed on the podcast is a man named connor neal who said something that really stuck to me is that you don't find your purpose you you put intention behind your purpose Mm. because i think people know what it is whether you've invested it in it or not and i think you just embody it more the more you put intention behind it and spend time around it absolutely and i also think it's when you're in that flow state and and when things happen a lot more easily and and I'm a great believer from a you know a bigger life philosophy perspective is when things are too hard then then just stop. So you know I I know um asked you know we were talking about this earlier but I studied to be an accountant and I always remember like I battled at university I absolutely hated it I would scrape through it fifty one percent for everything I'd repeat some subjects and it really it was it was a constant struggle and but. I didn't know what else I wanted to do. So I eventually graduated. Um, but, it, you know, there was nothing else that kind of immediately struck me that I wanted to do. But yet, if I'd sat down when I was 22 and actually retraced the steps of my career or my life up until that point, um, there were clues along the way. So I was debating captain at school. I was Alice in Wonderland at the, in the school play. Um, I always used to read at church when I was little. So I was always in plays and drama and I was talking a lot. So um, there were those clues and also um, directing people, you know, to create things. So there were a lot of entrepreneurial clues there and there were also a lot of um, performance clues, which if I picked them up earlier, then I probably would have saved myself a good 10 years. Hmm. Interesting. And how have you how have you invested so much time and energy in this? Is it is it something that interests you? It seems like you've um, done a lot of work around purpose and and potentially even helped other people around this. Yeah, you know, for some reason, I seem to attract a lot of people who are going through career midlife crises. Um, and you know, and I have a lot of coffees with those people, and um, because I and I think probably it's because it was a very personal journey for me. I remember at university just feeling completely invisible, and and just not being excited about anything that I was studying, um, and not having a big picture view. And there was a really um, dark, horrible period. So, and I meet a lot of people who you know are in their thirties, forties, fifties who have felt like that you know for thirty years. 
So, and, and I think that that is a travesty because I think that we are put on this earth to fulfill your purpose. And I think you have um, an obligation as a person, A, to find out what it is and B, then to align your purpose with your career, because that's when you will be in flow and things will happen easily. It's not to say you won't have problems. I think, and, and people need to distinguish between those two, that things will be hard sometimes, but you'll feel from an energy perspective that you are more in flow. So, so you were mentioning the Hansel and Gretel theory before we hit the record button. Can you just expand a little bit? What is your your Hansel and Gretel theory, and how how can people use that in, to to work this kind of stuff out? So, if you if you remember the fairy story of Hansel and Gretel, they got lost in the forest, and the only way they managed to kind of find their way back was the breadcrumbs that they'd left, and there are definitely clues. You know, I've already spoken about my own personal clues. Um, and when I sit down with people, some say, for example, someone's in their mid-30s and is feeling very unfulfilled in their career and, and doesn't know what to do next. The first thing I'll say to them is between the ages of 8 and 12 years of age, think back to that point in your life because performance theory says that's actually where your strengths were at their peak. So think of your school reports. Think of which subjects you like to enjoy. And if your parents ever kept your school reports, it's a very interesting exercise to go back. And it's not necessarily around the marks, but it's more around the comments that teachers made about you because that's where your your natural strengths are completely, they, they are unharnessed by the school system. And it probably happens more predominantly between eight and 10 years of age. But um, And I think technology has actually had a huge impact on this. But I think, um, think of, you know, what subjects did you enjoy at school? What, what did you play sport? Did you, were you an introvert? Were you an extrovert? What um, leisure activities did you like to do? You know, what energized you? And often it's those exact things that you need to unleash in your career when you're 35 um, and hitting a wall. Because often you, when I meet those people who are 35, they will, when I ask them about, you know, that age, eight to 10 or eight to 12, a lot of them will say they're not doing one single thing of the things that used to give them joy and they were in their flow and they've just stopped doing it. And it's a question. So from a Hansel and Gretel perspective is going and finding those things again. And it's not necessarily the skills, but it's, for example, if you like to, um, you know, I remember getting a train set from my parents when I was probably around seven or eight, which was quite an unusual present for a girl. And um, how much I love that. And, and I've often, um, you know, it was quite a tomboy and would like to deconstruct things, which, um, you know, in many ways is, is how I, you know, look at problems now. So, so they're definitely analogies and it's not necessarily skills, but it's, it's what strength was at work in the things that used to give you joy at that age. And how can you take those strengths and make them work in your career or your, your job now? Mm, I love that. Uh, I had a conversation with Dean Carlson a while ago, and he he said something that I really enjoyed, which is that he's always been a very calm person, mm. and no matter what happens around him, he's he's just super calm, and he's like calm is a superpower. Mm. And I love that, uh, you know, like, and I think that is one of his, uh, obviously, one of his, um, you know, strengths that he brings, and he's figured out how to bring that to bear in his professional professional life. 
Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think it's it's so exciting when you you hone in on the the granularity of your brand because it's it's and one of the best personal branding presentations I ever um sat in on was a, probably about 10 years ago was a woman in London and she said that your brand is like a pearl in an oyster. And the thing about a pearl in an oyster it takes a long time to form um before that oyster opens up. And she she was saying that she um, coaches a lot of entrepreneurs, for example. And she said when people are um, wanting to go out and start their own business and they're wanting to package that pearl, they get very excited about the website and the um, you know the their brand and um, all that kind of stuff. And in many ways, that is the the easy part of your the, the communication of your brand. What sits behind that, that discovery phase of that pearl being formed in that oyster, that's the hard yards. That's the trying yeah. stuff, you know, failing. Mm, this is not quite right. It's almost like Goldilocks looking for the perfect bed. You know, you've got to, like, it's too hard, it's too soft, it's too, you know, and, and you've really got to, because often the things, the more you do things that you don't like, I always say to people, it's a gift. We do a lot of work with graduates. Um, we run a lot of the grad programs at some of the banks. And it's so interesting when I meet these 23, 24-year-olds and they've often been in the organization maybe for a year and they go, but I hate this and it's so awful. And, um, you know, the, the work is not what they thought it was going to be. And I say to them, take notice of what you didn't like. So, you know, is it your boss? Is it the work? Is it the team? Is it the industry? Like the more granular you can get around what you don't like, that gives you huge clarity in terms of packaging of that pearl in terms of what you do like. So those um, those jobs that you absolutely hated in your 20s, in some ways, the, 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 I would be very surprised if people find their career sweet spot then. I always say to people, you, you should be on track like kind of, I would say by 35, but in your twenties, you can play around with it and just know that there is a destination of, um, of, of flow. And you'll get there. I mean, I think it's very interesting what you're saying because, you know, at NiceWork we help uh, one, one of the, the most fulfilling pieces of work we do is actually help organizations to define what their organizational purpose is. Yes. And a lot of the stuff rings true because there are clues. There's clues in the companies as to what's important to them, you know, where they spend their time, the kind of people that they've pulled into the organization, the kind of work they do, the way their clients talk about them. These are all the clues. And, and it's that reflection of, of having somebody who can kind of have this objective or outsider's perspective, you know, to sort of put some clarity around what you've almost or, or you already know it's not like you you have no idea what it is but when somebody puts it in front of you you're like oh that that makes sense or that's almost right it needs to move a little bit in this direction and it'll be perfect i think most most companies and most people have a, an inkling of what it is they just haven't necessarily put in the work or the the efforts which is not necessarily easy either mm. Um, to define it. No, you, you're so right. And I, and as part of that Hansel and Gretel process, um, once you've revisited your, your childhood and, you know, taken note of some of those things, the second thing I always ask people to do is to ask people who know you well um, for some input mm. around your, your strengths and your sweet spot, your career sweet spot, because they other people often notice it before you do. 
And um, people will, and the reason for that is because we are often unconsciously competent. <laughs> I like that. You just think that it's, um, it's normal to, you know, have this specific strength. And it's only when someone says to you, you, Ross, um, you do that so easily and so quickly, whereas it takes me, you know, four days to do the same thing that took you, you know, a day to do. And, and that's always an instant sign is that, that whatever that activity is, is probably in your career sweet spot, sweet. Um, mm. And, and uh, yeah, I, and I have noticed that the more feedback you get from other people, because other people will often notice it before you do. So, so I suppose my question to you is, is what is your purpose and, and how, have you, how have you aligned that or pulled that into the organization that you've created and, and run? Yeah. So I think that there was a tipping point in our business probably around eight years ago when up until then I had, we had run a more generic leadership development company. So it focused on brand networking. Um, but it, it was, it's something that I'm very passionate about, but it wasn't that absolute granular sweet spot and women and men network very differently. And I used to quote some research around that and um, women often don't network very well for a whole host of reasons. But as soon as we, and then companies started to say to me, we want you to train our women on how to network better because we do see that as something that's kind of getting in the way of them being promoted. And as soon as that happened and I started to stand up with mainly female audiences, and I saw the light go on in their eyes and I felt like a kind of stirring in my belly is then I knew that, that I was destined to, and I feel like a bit like an evangelist when I do do it and standing on a stage or, you know, on any kind of platform and speaking, training, and hopefully inspiring women to take their careers to the next level. And I realized that what I was born to do. And as soon as that happened and we aligned our work around women's leadership development, it was a complete tipping point. The business trebled and has trebled like year on year since that happened. Wow, that's amazing. So, so now I suppose my next question to you is, is obviously this is your purpose um, and you're quite clear on that and, and you've aligned your organization to, to almost be a, a piece of what's helping you to um, fulfill that purpose. But now how do, you, how do you pull in additional people to your team? Because your company is not made up of just you. It's not a, a one-woman band. Um, how do you pull in other people to deliver on that purpose, which is ultimately an extension of your purpose? Yeah, so I think there, there are a couple of things. And I mean, you know, you as a fellow business owner will know that this is, is not a perfect uh, process by any manner of means. But I think um, value systems, because I realize that um, when people's value systems are aligned and, um, and their passions, I, I'm looking for that light going on in someone's eyes when I'm interviewing them around the kind of work that we do because it is soul work it's not you sitting in front of a computer generating you know a kind of knowledge it's it's often we have a huge impact in the life of other people and I take that very seriously um and I'm not going to put anyone in front of those people in terms of our delegates that doesn't share that passion so um I think value systems and passion are the things that I've been looking for but then, you know, and then you would hope that that translates into the right behavior. 
Um, it doesn't always. And, you know, we were talking about it earlier. I probably have had a 50% hit rate um, around that. But the team that I have now, it feels like everyone is in the right place doing the right stuff. Um, and it's that whole right people in the right seats doing the right stuff. And that can only happen if, you know, our purpose, our value systems and our um, passions kind of align. So, so now how do you, I mean, the thing you said earlier was, was passion and values. And I think the third piece that's, that needs to be in there is obviously competence yeah. to yeah. deliver the, the work. Yeah. How do you, like, are there tips or tools or things that you, you do to make sure that passion and values and, and competence align with, with um, not only the job, but also the organization? Yeah. You know, I was, um, I was in recruitment, um, as my first job out of accounting. Um, and you know, I, I think reference checking is huge, um, because it's often what people don't say in, um, references. So, and I personally take references out on people. I don't outsource it to anyone else. I do it. Um, I think we do, you know, we're a big fan of the Enneagram. It's a personality profiling system that everyone does. We, we, train it. So obviously everyone in our company does it. And I, I also have quite a, you know, I, I know what we're recruiting for in terms of that personality type. So, you know, their values, their personality, their behavior. So, you know, there, there's quite a robust assessment that everyone goes through references and then, you know, gut feel. And as I say, 50% hit rate. And and you were saying that people are quite happy with fifty percent, but your personality is not happy with fifty percent as a score. Yeah, I just think because it, you know, um, especially because our business has grown very quickly, um, very, you know, and so what happens is, you know, it's quite disruptive to, you know, not. I, I've realised how critical, you know, and I've heard this, and it's probably been one of my biggest learnings from EO is, you know, just if you don't have the right talent and you don't have the right people, then your, your business is doomed. So, you know, it's it's just, and when you, you have the wrong person, it, I've realized, that especially, I mean, we've got a team of 12 people and one person, it just, the, the wrong person can have such a profound impact on, on the relationships, the whole vibe in the company. So it's mm. absolutely critical. Um, it's just, it, it's it's everything actually. But you, you definitely use the, the purpose of the organization as a way, you know, as like a, a test for making sure that the right human beings are, are coming through the, the door. Do you have a specific question you ask them or is everything sort of designed around trying to unpack that, that idea of, um, you know, sort of helping people and, and unlocking their values or unlocking their potential, sorry? So I think what's interesting around purpose and passion and values is a lot of it is largely nonverbal. So when I'm sitting in front of, say, for example, I'm having a conversation with someone around their career and they've hit a, a wall, it's largely, it doesn't matter what's actually coming out of their mouth. I can see by their eyes and by their body, because you can just see people kind of slump when they're talking about stuff that you know, that they're unhappy about. And then at some point in the conversation, suddenly their eyes start to shine and their body language visibly changes. And and even if I had earphones on and I wasn't listening to one thing, they would say I could point at that moment, whatever we're talking about, that is part of that person's passion. And, mm. and I use that same um, technique when I'm interviewing people. 
So, you know, I'll, I'll, and I'm quite interested in, in if I'm interviewing a woman, what is her, um, you know, the story around being gutsy and being brave. So part of our values in our business is we are mindful, we are gutsy, and we believe that no one is coming. And um, that last one, the no one is coming, is always kind of quite controversial. So I test those out on the people. And mindfulness is fairly obvious. It's around living a conscious life. Um, gutsiness is, you know, being ballsy and resilient. And that no one is coming is I'm testing for, you know, when they were they were in a situation, did they rely on other people to, you know, come and help them? Because I'm very anti a victim mentality. I've realized that that is a mentality that cannot survive five minutes in our company. And um, they've got to have taken charge. So I want to hear about instances in their life where, you know, they've been in a tricky situation and how did they rescue themselves? Because no one is coming to rescue you. I like that. I think it's a, a, a clear a clear differentiator of, of the kind of people that you want. So they could align on all that other stuff, but they're expecting help or they're expecting somebody else to, to stand up. Um, I suppose they'll probably then be looking to you to solve their problems or looking to their teammates to solve their problems if somebody like that did enter your organization. Exactly. Exactly. So it's quite an entrepreneurial mindset, you know, that I'm, mm. I'm looking for. Because, I mean, there was someone I interviewed at the end of last year who, and then she was weighing up two different roles. And I said to her, you know, what is, because um, I knew she'd been, she was quite far down another interview process for another company. And I said to her, you know, what are you thinking around the two different roles? And, and this was kind kind of um, selling some, you know, very, it was like a, a product. It, it wasn't um, anything sexy or exciting versus our value proposition, which I believe is very powerful, that like you actually impact people's lives. And the fact that she was even considering um, comparing the two meant that she wasn't, you know, she wasn't destined to be in the company. Mm, makes sense. The so so how would you, how would you describe the, the purpose of, of your company? So, um, you know, we've just been going through a big strategy process in lockdown because we have two very um, distinct divisions in the business. And, you know, what is that overall vision? So we've got the women's leadership work and then we've got a virtual reality um, simulation business. And so to tie those two together has been really interesting. So basically our purpose is to we unlock people's potential. Um, both within both for themselves and within organizations so that everyone wins um, because we've been painting a lot of scenarios and you know I think a lot of people are lost in the desert around their potential and and we play a role in unlocking and then training them on those skills that help them you know get to the next level which then serves the organization and serves them hmm. and and so so you've got these very different um, like almost products or, or, or areas of work. And obviously you probably need very different people to, to lead them. Tell me, how do you, how do you staff those things? You know, how do you, how do you put the right people in the right seats? And, and how do you, you know, like how do you go about even deciding, you know, how did you leap to VR? How did you, you know, how did that come about? So, um, I lived in Dubai for five years, many years ago, and there's a there's a woman who's I would consider a big mentor of mine. Um, she's run a training business very successfully in Dubai for many years, 
And she, her business model is to go and find out great things in the rest of the world and then bring them back to the Middle East. And whenever she does that, she shares whatever she's found with me. And we, uh, my biggest strength, if I do the Gallup Strengths Finder, is futurist. So I, I'm constantly thinking about the future. So I'm very connected to my purpose right here and right now, but there's a strong futurist focus. And um, both her and I had long discussions around the fact that, and this was even pre-COVID-19, this was last year, um, was that the future of, of learning is that virtual reality is going to play a big part of that. So, you know, I want to present learning in fun, interesting ways. So in many ways, they seem very um, separate, but actually they, they, the virtual reality is a, is a product that actually helps us achieve, you know, people's um, training, leadership, um, and it's specifically working in teams. And I'm very interested in the concept of teams because I think that high-performing teams are the currency of digital transformation. And if you don't get a a high-performing team right, then digital transformation is not going to happen. And virtual reality helps that because what it does, it microwaves behavior change. And and that, for me, was very appealing. So the the two actually are a lot more um, closely aligned than what they would look like from the outside. That's interesting. And and how do you... uh, you um, put the right people, you know, so, so are you the technical person? Yeah. Do you understand the VR? Do you make it all work? Like, how did you, how did you get into that space and, and how did you put the right people there? Yeah. So my, um, I went to, um, London and I took my two, my twin daughters who are 22 and I took them because I wanted to get a millennial view, um, of whether they thought this was sexy and exciting. And I got them to go in before me. And they went into the two simulations and I got their feedback. And and, and I can see that it, it's just such an interesting way and it's so immersive. And people are looking for new ways to land messages. So I um I believed it was a good fit. And then I got the rights to bring it to South Africa. And then in terms of interviewing, so there was someone who was already in my team. And um, he kind of, I, I think, wasn't reaching his maximum potential. So that's why in many ways it was such a good fit because he he's he's really bright and clever and he's got a very technical um, kind of bent. So he we appointed him as the business unit manager for this team BR and he then employed uh, a, a technical kind of team and um, yeah, and and he's running it. So I'm peripherally involved, but um, because I see the potential of it, and especially with COVID nineteen and people, you know, needing to be in different spaces, and it's now cloud based, so people can come in from all over the world. So it's an exciting um, product. But I'm not as passionate about it, that as I am about the women's leadership development. So I stick to my knitting as well. So, so what, I mean, what fuels this passion for, for women's leadership? Uh, I'm interested in, in, you know, how, how you've translated your personal purpose into your company purpose and how do you go about almost innovating, you know, in this space and creating that? Can you, can you talk a little bit about how you, you do that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that if you just look at the way the world is right now, and it's interesting with this whole crisis that's happened is some of the best leadership is coming from female leaders. 
um, in the world. You look at the New Zealand Prime Minister, um, and that it's it's much more than women and men. It's actually around a masculine versus a feminine style of leadership. And I do believe the world needs um, better leaders. And if those feminine traits are going to make people better leaders, I, I mean, one of the big gaps in our business, that, and I have still not, um, it's, it was on our agenda for 2020, is um, to try and get men more involved in this work. Because what I've realized is all the places where we've had huge impact, uh, women always have a very powerful male sponsor, often in traditional um, all male environments or mainly male. So, you know, it's trying to get the two working together better. And um, mm. th- that's definitely on our agenda to do. So um, mm, I think that really, I just think the world needs better leaders and a, a more feminine style of being. So you don't think Donald Trump is doing a good job of leading uh, America through this crisis? Uh, no, I do not. I'm <laughs> doing a very good job. <laughs> you had to compare the New Zealand prime minister or the Icelandic prime minister to Donald Trump. Yeah, I know. I would hope that that's one of the good things that's going to come out of this is because I think with crises like this, they reveal, it's like Warren Buffett says, you know, when the tide comes out, you see who's, who's swimming naked. And I think, mm. you know, he has been hugely revealed. Um, and, you know, you just hope that the American public, uh, you know, doesn't elect him again because I, I just think people are dying. It's very scary. Well, I think, I mean, we, we've we actually been looking at this uh, um whole thing is a bit of an opportunity obviously there's the risks associated with it and and it's it's quite hard but i think it's it's been it's forced onto the agenda things that were off our agenda you know we're not off the agenda but on the sideline of the agenda for a long time the amount of work we've done around our products our website the way we communicate the way our team runs the way we run our projects it's been like this amazing uh, almost like focus mm. That's that's been forced upon us um, to 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 reinvent or to to take the the elements that we know are not working but haven't found the energy to work on them yet, and it's it's forcing us to spend that time on it, which has been quite invigorating. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. It's a complete resetting moment. Um, I think for you know, it sounds like your business. It's been like that for ours. Our team has never worked better. We've you know developed all these online offerings we've been wanting to do for kind of three years, and having that time and space. And you realize when time and space open up, and um, you know, you're not. Uh, you know, in that busyness uh, kind of schedule, how innovative and creative you actually start to get. And how how do you think you're going to carry that forward? How do you think you're going to take the best of this out and and after everything settles to keep that energy going? Yeah, I think I think that is the big challenge. Um, I think that to realise how important it is to have days where there are no meetings and no appointments for everyone. I always thought it was more important for me, but what I've realized is actually really important for the team. So, you know, to have on a Thursday or a Friday where it's a, it's a complete deep work day and, and that mm-hmm. where people get really, you know, deep into, into things because, you know, this whole concept of deep work is very exciting because, you know, the guy who wrote that book, Cal Newport, he said mm. that um, in the future, which I mean, it kind of feels like the future is here now, but he said <laughs> deep work will enable you to do hard things. 
And the companies who are able to do hard things are going to be the ones that are, are successful. So if you constantly, you know, got this jam-packed diary and you're just running from meeting to meeting, you never have that opportunity to just stop and pause and go deep and, you know, tackle those tough things. And, you know, we've had some very robust strategy sessions um, with the external consultants. And, you know, I, I really feel like we've done some tough navel gazing, which has been so, uh, it feels like we we actually have been having, you know, being in a hovercraft and finally just stopped and, you know, put in an anchor. And the creativity that's come out of it has just been phenomenal. I love that concept of, of deep work allows you to do hard things, you know, because coming back to your organization's purpose is that you need to unlock people's potential, which is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy task to, to deliver on. So I suppose as an organization, if you don't get people into that space of deep work, how do you expect them to deliver on that, that purpose? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a, a really great note to end the conversation on. The, thank you very much for sharing. Um, and I'd love to to see how your purpose uh, plays out, how that strategy plays out when you, you hit the, the road running after we're allowed back out of our houses again. Yes, I, I will keep you updated. And here's to Seattle Cappuccinos. <laughs> the things you miss I think at this point the only thing I really miss is seeing my son play with another child uh, I think if I could get that done I could do do away with everything else yes yes now I can imagine yeah so maybe it's been a lot about the little things that you miss hey? yeah and you realise what's important and what isn't mm. yeah so true Okay, Helen, thank you so much. And I guess we'll catch you in the next one. Yes, that was, that was lovely. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. In the words of Carlos Corbian, sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please send it on to them. This is our second season, and we'd be super grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button. And if you think we're worth it, give us a review. We welcome feedback, good or bad. We release an episode every two weeks. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a purpose-led branding company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you'd like to further this conversation, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're a little bit old school, let us know and we'll make you a mixtape.